I invite you then to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. It's in the second half of the, of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel of Luke. And we're looking this morning a new series in Luke chapter 10, primarily. We're setting it up with Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62, which is Luke's setup to the series. So as we come to God's Word, let's bow our heads and pray together. Let's pray. Our Father God, uh, we pray that your word would be at work in us this morning to clarify our thinking, to move our hearts, to cause us to follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So friends, Luke chapter 9 and beginning at verse 57, I'll read to verse 62. Let's hear God's word. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We begin a new uh, sermon series this morning called Your Mission Should You Choose to accept it and the theme of this sermon is will you follow and in case you haven't picked up the pop cultural reference here's a slide that might help you this was put together for me by a student and sent to me this week I thought if you can't quite see it at the back it's a picture of Tom Cruise from the series Mission Impossible one of the sort of most well-known moments when he's kind of hanging above some floor that's going to set off an explosion or something, and someone has superimposed my face on that of Tom Cruise. So it's a very well-known series, the Mission Impossible series, and of course your mission, should you choose to accept it, is is a well-known phrase from that. But actually that scene wasn't the one that I had in mind, particularly when I was thinking of the series. The most recent Mission Impossible movie, Mission Impossible 7, has an iconic moment in it when Tom Cruise does an extraordinary stunt. He does his own stunts, and he's broken various parts of his body over the years doing it. But this stunt was extraordinary, and you, you may have seen it on YouTube. I haven't actually seen the movie. I've seen the stunt on YouTube. And he gets on a, on a bike, a motorbike, and he, he drives it. Uh, revs the engine up, drives it off a cliff somewhere in Scandinavia, and then the motorbike f- falls into the, into the valley beneath him, and then he um, skydives for a while, and then his parachute opens, and it's an extraordinary stunt. Amazing to see. I mean, scary even to watch it on the screen. And, and Tom Cruise did it himself. But when you... Even more amazing, I think, is watching the YouTube videos about the behind-the-scenes that led up to it. So he, he did, I think, 500 skydives to get ready for it. 
And then he had to learn how to ride a stunt bike. And then they set up the same, because it wasn't actually on a cliff. They, they had a green screen or something like that. So there was a, there's a ramp they built on top of the cliff. I mean, quite a narrow ramp. It's pretty, but it, and so they, they practiced with that ramp somewhere else in, in England. For, and he did you know, dozens and dozens of these practice jumps, getting ready for it. And, and then uh, when it actually came to the moment when he did it in Scandinavia and, and, and drove the motorbike off, off the edge of the cliff and skydived into the, into the valley beneath and all, all that, and any little thing that went wrong, he'd be dead. Uh, he, he, he didn't just do it once. He did it six times to make sure they got the right shot, one after another. And then in these behind-the-scenes YouTube videos about it, he's asked, why, why, why doesn't he just get a stunt double? Why doesn't he get someone else to do it? Why is he doing it in all himself? And he looks at the camera and says, it's all for the audience. Now, that's commitment to a mission. And it made me think, what about our commitment? What mission are we committed to, and are we really committed to the mission we, we say we're committed to, and hence this series? Now, we are going to be looking at Luke's gospel, and so we need to make sure that we've got the, 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 the basic theme of Luke clear in our minds as we introduce it, so before we get to the bullet points of, of the sermon. The, the, Luke's gospel is essentially written to give us certainty about the Christian message. That's what he says in his introduction to it in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And he, it, to understand Luke's gospel, you need to understand that he's writing it to show that Jesus fulfills the message of the Old Testament. So it's all fulfillment to give us certainty of the things that we have uh, heard about Christianity. That's his purpose. Um, but in particular, throughout Luke's gospel... He'll say over and over again that Jesus is the Savior, and he'll tell stories about him saving because he wants us to experience the Savior and to be saved. And as he builds his argument throughout the book, it comes to the end in chapter 24, where he shows us that now this message of salvation that has been fulfilled from the Old Testament, that now we have certainty about and have experienced his salvation, now he wants us to go on mission to tell about this Savior Jesus uh, to all nations. So that's what the book of Luke is all about. And in particular, we're in a section which begins at... So Luke is basically structured in two halves. And the second half begins at chapter 9, verse 51, which is all when Jesus goes towards Jerusalem on the way. And there are a series of stories that happen on the way to teach us what it means to follow Jesus. And this section we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks is all about the mission, what it means to follow Jesus. And that's, uh, therefore, the, the theme, of course, of the, of the series. Now then, let's look at these bullet points together. First of all, recognize the scandalous appeal of the Savior Jesus. So if we're going to follow Jesus, this is the first thing we need to do. We need to recognize the scandalous appeal of the Savior Jesus. Well, he is appealing, isn't he? Verse 57, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. There's a kind of global appeal to Jesus. It's very rare to come across someone who really dislikes Jesus. I mean, there are people like that, of course. But it's rare. Most people find Jesus at some level an appealing 
personality. I'll follow you wherever you go. Sure, Jesus is great. But there's a scandalous appeal to him. If you have your Bible open, you'll see it from, bef- from the verses before when it's setting up this, this scene. So, so um, he's now sending his face to go to Jerusalem, verse 51. That is, Luke is saying he's going to the cross. And there's a scandal to that. And so verse 53, there are some who didn't receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Jesus has a scandalous appeal. And this is the pattern of the authentic Jesus when he's presented, the scandalous appeal. You see it over and over again in the Bible, uh, in the book of Acts, when Paul is representing Jesus to King Felix and Agrippa. Uh, They are both fascinated by what he's saying. They'll listen to him, but it's also a scandal to them. Or Mark chapter 6, when King Herod listens to John the Baptist and his preaching, he listens to him gladly. There's an appeal to it. And yet, he's greatly puzzled. It's a scandal to him at the same time. Or in uh, John chapter 7, when the, the famous text there about Jesus is, no man ever spoke thus, but that those words were spoken by the soldiers who'd been sent to arrest Jesus. He's appealing. No one, no one ever spoke like this, but it's scandalous. We're going to arrest the guy and throw him in jail. Scandalous appeal of the Savior Jesus. It's important that we recognize that, isn't it? Controversy is a bad thing in religion. We don't want controversy. But there is something worse than controversy. Controversy is bad. Heresy is worse. And therefore sometimes it is, it is controversy is necessary. Jesus has a scandalous appeal first. Second, what does that mean? Well, it means, second, we need to reject counterfeit gospels that offer a Jesus without any cost. Many Gospels today offer a Jesus without any cost, but they are counterfeit because Jesus has a scandalous appeal. And we can see amazingly here, Jesus emphasizes this three times over. Three times over, he said to them, he said to him, he said to him. He he elevates barriers to following him. He's not a sales guy. He's saying, do you really want to follow me? This is what it's going to cost. Counterfeit gospels don't do that. They'll marginalize the cost, minimize it. Jesus elevates it. Or they'll avoid the cost altogether. The authentic gospel always includes clarifying the cost. It does cost to follow Jesus. Genuine gospel preaching does not hide the cost. Paul makes this crystal clear in his letter to the Corinthians, particularly 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he says, we have avoided deceitful and deceptive ways. Instead, we set forth the truth plainly. It's not a sales job. I don't have a pitch for you here selling you something. That's a counterfeit gospel. There is a cost to following Jesus. We make it clear 
what that cost is, as Jesus did, three times over. And again, this is really important. We, 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 we reject these counterfeit gospels because there are many of them around today. There are so-called mission-branded ministries that are really just super cool, but not costly. And there are gospel-branded ministries that are not really gospel at all. Prosperity gospel preaching. Uh, It would be an interesting game to play to list all the texts in the Bible that no prosperity gospel could ever preach from. Here's one of them. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I doubt you will ever hear a prosperity gospel preach that text. We need to reject counterfeit gospels that offer Jesus without any cost. And of course then there's progressive Christianity, which is only progressing in the sense that cheese becomes progressively moldy. It's not really Christianity, is it? It's a counterfeit message, a gospel without any cost. Well, then, what does it mean? Third, then, respond to the unique and supreme identity claim Jesus is making. Jesus here is not being harsh. What Jesus is doing is showing us who he truly is. The background to this uh, interaction here, as throughout Uh, the the Gospel of Luke, is the Old Testament. And Jesus here is contrasting his call to follow him with the very well-known call of Elijah to Elisha to follow him in 1 Kings chapter 19. There Elisha follows, responds positively to the, the, the call of Elijah to follow him, but says, I need to first of all go back and say goodbye to my family. And Elijah then in 1 Kings 19 says, sure, go ahead. What what do I have to do with you? Go and say goodbye to your family first. But Jesus is here saying, someone more than a mere prophet is asking you to follow him. And therefore, following him requires a greater commitment, even than following a great prophet like Elijah. He's not being harsh. He is saying that because of who he is, following him requires an even greater commitment than following Elijah. Imagine if the prophet Elijah walked into church this morning and said, will you follow me? And you think, well, that's, a, that's pretty exciting. Maybe I will. He said, well, I first of all got to go and say goodbye to my family. And Elijah says, well, sure, absolutely. Go and do that and then come and follow me. And so that's what happens. Imagine Jesus walks into the building. Well, Jesus is here by his spirit, and he's making this offer to you this morning by his spirit through his word. But imagine Jesus is physically present. And he says, come follow me. And you say, well, first of all, I've got to go and say goodbye to some things. I've got to sort out some stuff at home. And he says, no, come follow me. Because he's more than a mere prophet. He is God himself incarnate. I think we know that responding to greater opportunity, greater adventure, requires greater commitment. We know this in practical terms, don't we? 
if you have children or if you play sport, you will know that different levels of sport require different levels of commitment. If you have a child or if you play park district soccer, it requires one level of commitment. But if you're on the travel league, that's a different level of commitment. And then it's different again if you play for the Premier League. You're now in the Premier League, it's going to cost you more. Or if you play high school football, that's a significant commitment. But if you're in the NFL, that's a much higher level of commitment. And Jesus is saying to those who want to follow him, you're joining the NFL. It's going to cost you. Will you follow? Well, what does that mean in practical terms? Jesus shows us what it means in practical terms in three ways. This is the fourth our bullet point, so the first of the three ways that Jesus uh, shows us how we are to prioritize him. First, or fourth in the bullet points, first of these three ways, prioritize Jesus, prioritize Jesus over comfort. Verse 58, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And there is, of course, an historic context here. Jesus was an itinerant preacher. So literally to follow Jesus meant not having a home, but traveling around the place and going here, there, and everywhere. And it doesn't mean that you can't have a home. Uh, There are many people who follow Jesus who have houses and places to stay. But by application, I think what it means for us is that we must prioritize Jesus over comfort. There isn't even an expectation of a natural, normal level of comfort. That's what he's saying by using these, the, the illustration for animals. A fox has a hole, a nice comfy hole. Birds have nests. You see how they make it nice and comfy and cozy? Oh no, says the Lord, I am more important than a nest egg. Prioritize Jesus over comfort. Then, fifth and second of these ways, put it into practice. Prioritize Jesus over family. How scandalous. Look what he says. Verse 60. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now remember, there is a deliberate background from the Old Testament to this. Jesus is saying he's more important than Elijah. But I think by application, it does mean for us that we must prioritize Jesus, even over family. Now, those of you who know me will realize that family is very important to me. I, I love my family, and I am committed to my family. But Jesus is even more important than my family. Jesus is even more important than your parents, than your brother or your sister, than your husband or your wife. Often in Christian communication today, the phrase God, family, country comes out, and I suppose that's all very well, but I, I do wonder sometimes when I hear that phrase, 
whether really it's family first and country and God. Is God actually prior first? Being willing to move, even if family is not there. Prioritize Jesus over family. Let the dead bury their own dead. What a scandalous appeal. And then finally, sixth in our bullet points with the final of these three ways that Jesus clarifies what it means to respond to his supreme and unique identity and this adventure that he's inviting us into of following him. Prioritize, and I think this is in many ways the, the most difficult. Prioritize Jesus over going back. Uh, look, look at this final interaction in verse 61. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. What, what, what Jesus here discerns, I think, is the real issue is that he wants to go back. So Jesus said to them, verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow, it's an interesting word, isn't it, on this snowy day, plow, different kind of plow. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What a challenge. Easy, isn't it, to go back? Standard pattern for God's people. Even the Old Testament. What, what, what did the Israelites want to do? They wanted to go back to Egypt. Many people begin following Jesus. They grow up in a Christian home. They, they are exposed to Christian things, but then they, then they go back. We have to prioritize Jesus over going back. A great preacher that I enjoy listening to at time, his ser- times, his sermons are still online recorded from the mid-20th century. He, one time, quoted a much earlier preacher from, I think it was the 18th century, in very 18th century language, saying to other fellow Christians at the time, he said this, Brethren... We must hurry. Can't go back. You've got to press forward with alacrity, commitment, even speed. Hurry. Will we follow? In 2010, a mission team found a network of reproducing churches in a remote corner of the Democratic Republic of Congo. So right out there in the jungle, in the middle of nowhere, this mission pioneer team thought it was going to discover unreached territory. And they got there into what they thought was the middle of nowhere, and what they discovered, in fact, was a whole sequence of churches evangelizing and discipling and reproducing. And they, how, how did this happen? Where did they come from? And what they discovered was that many years before, a man called Dr. William Leslie had been a medical missionary to that part of the world. He'd spent 17 years there and then had come back thinking he had failed. And then he died nine years later. And then in 2010, they discovered that his work was revealed. 
as bearing the fruit that comes to faithfulness. It's a commitment, it's a cost, but it's worth it. What's your mission? Mission impossible? Many people, I think, have a mission responsible, making sure their taxes are done, covering all their bases. Some people, I think, have a mission gullible. They'll believe anything that's out there on the internet. Other people have a mission radical. They want a revolution. Some people have a mission dreamable. They spend all their time coming up with new ideas and new things, but nothing ever happens. Some people have a mission enjoyable. Their number one priority is pleasure. Some people have a mission Google. They spend the whole time surfing the internet. Some people have a mission political. Fascinated by politics and think that politics will save them. I wouldn't put it like that, but really... They have a mission political. Some people have a mission psychobabble. Whatever the latest psychological idea is out there, that's what they think will bring them healing and help. Well, this morning, we are being invited into a different kind of mission a mission biblical. And the question before us all is, will we follow? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our Father God, we do thank you for who Jesus is. There are many things, Lord, that we can give our lives to. And as we begin this journey with Jesus along the way, as he will teach us and clarify for us what it means to follow him, we pray, Lord, that at the outset, we would say yes to following Jesus. Help us, Lord, to prioritize Jesus over comfort, even over family. And not, Lord, look back and want to go back. Help us to put you first. Even though it cost us. Because, Lord, of who you are, your supreme and unique identity. Because, Lord, of how valuable you are. Because of that, Lord, yes, yes, we will follow. Give us your strength and your power by your Spirit as we make that commitment. In the name of Jesus and for his glory, amen.